Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Do that with some sauce. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament, if that helps you. So, um, f- so for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to walk through the greatest sermon of all time. Okay. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount by, you may guess, Jesus. Okay. And so we looked at the beginning of this sermon way back at grand opening. So Matthew 5, 1 through 11, so you can go look at it. Uh, you know, go listen to it on the podcast if you wish. But to summarize, okay, Jesus started his sermon by describing a blessed or happy life. He started by basically describing from the inside what it looks like to become like Jesus. So, you know, we saw in the sermon, uh, the, the, the first uh, 11 verses of this chapter that Jesus says, if you want a happy life in Jesus, you need to get rich, take advantage of others, and be self-centered. No, that's not what he's Okay, now what he said, he said at the beginning of his sermon, he taught that a blessed life isn't arrogant, but it's humble, right? That those who are happy, those who are really becoming like Jesus, they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. They mourn their sin. They turn and repent from their sin. So today, the text we'll see today is kind of a sneakily important, one of the most important texts in all of scriptures. And uh, we, we kind of miss it, I think. And so we're, Jesus affirms the importance of the Old Testament. He describes his very purpose for coming to earth altogether, and he unveils the true renovation that he wants to do on this earth, and it's your heart. Okay, that's what he wants to do. So as a Christ follower, we see in Ephesians 1, 6, that we're seated with Christ. Romans eight seventeen says that we are co-heirs with Christ. First Peter 1 says uh, that he's given us an inheritance that is unfading. Doesn't that fire you up? You're a child of the king, man. You're, you're not out in the cold looking in the window as God and his family, his real family have dinner. And like You're his child. A personal relationship is always, that's always been God's plan. Lots of people, even sometimes I think it can seep into our thinking, they see God as like this omniscient clockmaker. He kind of sets the world into motion and now, you know, he kind of lets it go from there, watching it all happen. But that's not the, the God of the Bible. Okay, he is intimately involved and concerned with your life, your everyday affairs, the goings on of your life. There's this important word that the Apostle John used almost 60 times in his writings. It's abide. That's what God wants for you is to abide in him and he is this mutual relationship, he and you. And so from the very beginning, God wanted a growing relationship with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool air each evening. A few centuries later, he had his people construct a temple where he could, quote, dwell with his people. Jesus often simply said, follow me, right? Not, hey, here's a list of rules, get knocked that out, and then maybe we can talk. No, let's come into a, let's, let's be friends. Follow me, right? So most of you know a lot of my story, but so every man in my family is a Southern Baptist pastor, which is a, a, a real hoot to grow up in that. You know, and they're all great men. Uh, they, as Paul says, walked worthy of the calling in their lives, great men. But I quite literally grew up in church. I mean, we were there all the time. And also as my parents being missionaries, we, we traveled a lot. So I'd been to something like 30 countries by the time I was 20. And so that's great. But also I saw, a, I saw a lot of sincere people of other faiths, right? Like Muslim mechanics who had a good sense of humor. And like atheists who weren't this vile, you know, caricature that I had heard about my whole life. But they were like thoughtful, nice people. And I began to doubt whether or not Jesus really is the son of God, um, started really in seventh grade, and for the timelines, Harry, six, eight, ten years, really just kind of decided, okay, but yeah, God, I think God's real, but I don't think it's Jesus, kind of an agnostic path. And I remember, anybody remember Larry King live, 100 years? So if you didn't see Larry, he was on TV for 100 years, okay? And every night he would interview somebody kind of interesting. Hey, 
I messed something up there, and I'm so sorry, okay? Uh, <laughs> but I didn't fall, okay? So Larry King, he would interview somebody interesting every night, world leaders, you know, celebrities, that kind of thing. But for his 50th anniversary show, that's right, 50 years on CNN, all these people interviewed him. And so Bette Midler was interviewing him. I was watching this. This is the kind of thing I watched as a kid, okay? So Bette Midler interviewed him, and, and she said, if you could ask anybody, one person in all of history, one question, who and what would it be? And quickly, he said, Jesus, and I would ask him if he was really born of a virgin, because if he was, that changes everything. And as a kid, doubting Jesus, but really wanting to believe, I saw that, and I go, that's it. Okay, well, what is that question for me? So I began to think, and again, all on my own, which wasn't the smart, smart thing, but I decided, okay, for me, it's, it's the Bible. If the Bible's true, then Jesus is God. It makes sense, right? And if Jesus is God, I need to follow him, do what he says, and be a Christian. And, and, I, and again, I really want it. So I, I began for the first time, in my, and again, growing up in church, really considering the Bible, really reading the Bible for myself. And so what, you know, for junior high, all the way for the next 10 years, as I kept on this journey, Satan kept whispering that, what he whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden, did, did God really say? Did, did God really, it's his original lie, his original uh, temptation. So what changed my life was starting to read the Bible. Because, and not yes, it's a perfect book. It, this, this is the, the, the best book of all time, yes. But not just that, it, points, it pointed me to Jesus. I saw that Jesus really is good, and he's God, and he can save me, he can change my life. And so I saw that, Far from my impression of the Bible up to that point, Christianity is the only historically based transcendent belief, okay, belief system. The Bible is not just a collection of like theories or idealized tales. It doesn't present a bunch of glossy, polished heroes that were like, oh man, they really, man, they were perfect. That really was, a real, no, it's so far from that. It, all of, except for Jesus, all of the characters in the Bible are gritty, unglamorous, often unpleasant people, okay? The Bible smacks, of realistic fact, not idealized fiction, okay? So again, other than Jesus, virtually everyone in the Bible, all of our heroes are authentic, flawed people who often behave like morons, okay? Uh, they are prideful, uneducated, self-absorbed liars, adulterers, murderers, thieves whom God rescues repeatedly despite their mistakes. And God's love gives hope to all people, including the people who act like morons, okay? And I saw that the Bible was true, and I believe that God wrote it, and Jesus changed my life. And, you know, I, I was hopeless, I was confused, but then Jesus changed my story to be marked by peace and hope. Only Jesus could do that, and he can do that for you this morning, by the way. If you're confused or whatever that, those words might be for you, he can change your heart uh, this morning. Not because any other reason, but because he loves you. God gave us this Bible so that we could know him. First John says, and uh, as the old hymn says, so that we could look full on his wonderful face. Again, it's not about just the words, but we really see a picture of our perfect God in this perfect book. So look with me in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Jesus speaking here, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to abolish, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. 
I'm telling you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Okay, so we'll look at two key ideas in in this part of Jesus' sermon today. So first, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says that everything he teaches is in complete harmony with the Old Testament. Okay, that, you know, that his teachings do not contradict the Old Testament in any way. And then in verses 19 and 20, Jesus says that his teachings are not in harmony with these guys. Okay, so uh, that, that their teachings and their yoke is contradictory to his way. Their understanding of religion is off. So Jesus is like, I'm, I'm in complete harmony with the Old Testament and in complete disharmony with these guys who say that they believe the Old Testament. So the Pharisees and the scribes, you know this, but they were religious elites, okay? And they couldn't understand. They, they did not get why Jesus kept stepping to them. Like, who is this guy, right? Like, they hilariously felt like they were out of Jesus' league. And, because it's not, like, it's not like they thought, well, he went to Mississippi State and we went to Harvard, okay? It's not like that, okay? Uh, it's more like they looked at him like they were accomplished surgeons and he didn't graduate high school. And then he steps to them, like, teaching them how to do surgery, and they're like... Who is this dude again? What are we talking about? Okay, so in in verses 17 and 18, and let me tell you too, we're gonna get into the weeds a bit today. So I hope you had your coffee, take a sip right now because these, uh, a lot of the weeds that we'll get into are crucial to understanding why Jesus came to earth, why he even intends to save you, okay? So y'all ready for that? A little weed life today, okay. Weed life is the wrong way to say that. Um, Let's read, verses, let's read the Bible real quick, 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come to, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill, him, fulfill them. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, so what does Jesus mean by the law and the prophets, right? Uh, he's talking about the entire Old Testament there. Uh, the entire law that was given to the children of Israel, including the moral law, judicial law, and ceremonial law, okay? Uh, the moral law includes, for example, the Ten Commandments and, and uh, other great moral principles that were laid down once and forever. It was wrong to murder in the Old Testament. It happens to still be wrong. It's a moral law, right? Then the judicial law, sometimes called civil law, refers to the legislative law given to the nation of Israel. They were a theocracy, okay, under God's rule. So in their particular circumstances at that particular time, and then the ceremonial law, a lot of this in the Old Testament, uh, it's burnt offerings and sacrifices, all the rituals, ceremonial things regarding worship in the temple, how they washed their hands, how they prepared the goat, all those kinds of things. And so, so but Jesus is talking about all of it here. So the, the ceremonial law and civil law, Okay, do not require our obedience now, which if you want to have a long talk about that part of the sermon, preachers love talking about that, so meet me after, let's talk all about it, let's have a cup of coffee. But here, suffice it to say, Jesus is referring to all of it, all of the law in the Old Testament, the entire thing. So from 621, so after this section of verses 621 and the rest of Jesus' sermon, it's really just an exposition of the moral law. So, but again, his statement here is all of the law. So Jesus emphatically says that he did not come to abolish the law, just do away with it, but to fulfill it. The real meaning, God bless you, the real meaning of the word fulfill is to carry out, right? So to, to fulfill in the sense of giving a full obedience to it, literally carrying out everything that has been said in the law and the prophets. So Jesus came to give the law a perfect obedience, 
okay? And his central claim now comes into view, that all the law and the prophets point to him and will be fulfilled in him down to the smallest iota, down to the smallest detail. Everything that is in the law and the prophets culminates in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. One very plain observation that we need to make is Jesus confirms the whole of the Old Testament. Okay, uh, I think sometimes we, <laughs> we can think of God of the Old Testament like, the grump, like some grumpy tyrant. Right, like kind of more, just a little bit different. And now, you know, Jesus came with bell bottoms and he went off to Berkeley and he brought all, you know, brought all these like great ideas of grace and tolerance and truth. I think maybe we, even if we don't say it like that, we kind of think that just a little bit. Some Christians de-emphasize or practically ignore the Old Testament. But, but here, Jesus does the opposite. According to Jesus, everything in the Old Testament is the word of God. Some organizations even print the Bible, just New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. They should never do that, okay, because the one casts light on the other, and each, in a sense, can only be understood with the other. So now I'll admit, okay, the Old Testament is tougher to wade through, okay, I'll admit that, but anything worth doing is hard, okay? So let's quickly consider how Christ fulfills the law before we moved on to verses 19 and 20. Galatians 4.4 says that Jesus was made under the law. So though he is eternally above it as a son of God, he came and was made under the law as the one who would carry it out. Jesus was careful to obey the law down to the tiniest detail. He taught others to love and obey the law. No one could bring any charge against him. Even this past week in city group, we were in John 18, and Abraham brought up the you know, so John 18 is where Jesus basically is on trial before Pilate. And Abraham made the point uh, that Pilate, when Pilate asked, you know, who is bringing a charge against Jesus and what's the charge? Nobody had a specific charge because they couldn't. He was completely innocent of every little law in the Old Testament, okay? So D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, one of the, the greatest uh, theologians in our history, he makes the point that, if we're not clear on our understanding of Jesus fulfilling the law, we'll never understand the meaning of the cross. We'll never get it. Romans 6 explains that the wages of sin is death, right? That bill's gotta be paid. The, the, the sin bill is steep. The law declares that death must come to all who have sinned against God and broken his holy law. So Jesus says, don't think I've come to do away with the law. I came to carry it out, to fulfill it. And one of the ways the law must be fulfilled is the punishment of sin must be carried out. The punishment for breaking God's law is death. And that's why Jesus died. Okay, we broke God's law. Jesus gave the law a perfect obedience, right? Then he took our place of punishment. The law must be fulfilled and he was not willing to let us die. So he took our place. He kept the law down to the iota, every second of his obedience of the law was an act of love for you. Every time he did the right thing, every time he followed all these minute details, it was an act of love for you. And by dying on the cross and bearing in himself and upon himself our punishment, he fulfilled all the Old Testament types. This fires me up, man. So, so go read Leviticus and Numbers with a cup of coffee in hand, okay? Uh, Read about all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Read about the tabernacle, the, the temple ceremonies, about the altar. They're all shadows, 
They're all types, they're all prophecies of what is going to be done fully and finally by our Lord Jesus, okay? The, the, the principle, the great truth is Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the offering. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Moses struck a rock that produced water for a little while. Now Jesus provides us living water every day forever. He is the fulfillment. The Old Testament is about Jesus, every page of it. And he gave his precious blood so that the law would be fulfilled in him. The law is to guide us toward God. Always has been, you know, when our government, as an example, makes a law, the hearts change. No, I mean, you know, our government, they've made all kind of laws about smoking. Well, that changes behavior, but it doesn't change hearts, right? So uh, now let's look at verse 20. One more time. Jesus says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus said this, the crowd would have been absolutely shocked. Dare I say they were flabbergasted. Okay. Holier than the Pharisees? What? Is he, what are you talking about? These men were the authorities on the law, on the scriptures, On holiness, right? And so they gave their whole lives to the study of the law and the prophets. They, more than anybody else, could claim to be concerned about obeying God. Everyone looked up to them for this reason, right? Now Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. You're making me a little nervous, Jesus. Is that, you know, is this a faith by works? What's going on here? Of course not. Okay, so the, the very word Pharisee means separatist. Okay, they were people who set themselves apart and they did so by adhering to a set of ceremonial rules that were even more stringent than what the Old Testament called for, right? So stricter than what the Old Testament demanded. Okay, read the Old Testament, you're like, whoa. So Jesus told this story one time and the Pharisee in his parable fasted twice a week. Okay, but the Old Testament only required people to fast once a year. So this guy was fasting 104 times, 103 times more than he needed to, than what the scriptures even called him to every single year. And so they would take things like that, the Pharisees would take things like that, that super rigid idea and make it into a law. Now y'all got to do it too, okay? And it would form an excessively burdensome rule book that nobody but them could keep. It was a system of spiritual oppression. So the average person thought, I could never be as good as a Pharisee. The set apart one, there's no way I could do that. And Jesus comes and says, I'm asking you to exceed their righteousness. And this is where Jesus flips the script for us. So what is our conception of true holiness? Right? Is it fasting 103 more times than we're asked? Uh, is it outward demonstrations of piety? You know, what is it? What is our thought of what a Christian is becoming? What's in your head of, of the ideal Christian? right? Um, Jesus is trying to renovate your heart. The Holy Spirit works at the heart level. See, the reason Jesus always went after these guys, you know, if you read the New Testament, he's like always getting in their grill. The reason is because the common people depended on their teaching. The common people really looked to these guys for how to have life. And so Jesus was intent on showing the emptiness of their teachings to then present the people with their t- the true teaching and to set the people free. And this is my opinion, but I don't think the Pharisees knew they were hypocrites, okay? I don't think that they thought they were being ungodly. You ever notice every single time that he confronts them like this, they're shocked. 
me? What are you talking about? I don't think they're faking that surprise, okay? So I don't think they realize how corrupt their hearts were. I think they thought they were nailing it. And as we read our Bibles, we need to constantly be aware of that danger, right? There is the possibility for us religious folk to depend on the wrong thing, to lean on, rest in the wrong things. It's possible to be close to the things of God and far from God. It's possible. Another time, some of the Pharisees were stunned when the disciples came from the marketplace, sat down, and just began to eat their fish before washing their hands. They couldn't believe it. Let's just read it in Mark 7, 3 through 8. It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat, he's describing it here, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, not the scriptures, but what other men had said they need to do. Verse four, and when they came from the marketplace, the disciples came from the marketplace, they do not eat, unless, sorry, when they, came, when they come from the marketplace, they being the Pharisees, they never eat unless they wash first. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to him, Isaiah did a good job prophesying about you hypocrites. Okay, as it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. How careful y'all are about the outside and negligent you are about the inside, O Pharisee. See, here's the thing. The kingdom of God is concerned about the heart. The kingdom of God is more focused on who I am inside than external things outside. These men were thorough, okay, in washing their hands but not seeking the cleansing of their hearts. Is there an application for you there, right? Is there something you need to think through there? Is there something you need to confess to a brother or sister in this room there? All right, so think back to the very beginning of Jesus' sermon, okay? The Christian is humble. It's, he, he or she is merciful, hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He or she longs to be like Christ. Those are all internal, you see? And so to be holy is not just avoiding certain things, but becoming like Jesus, pure in heart, meek, merciful. The Pharisees were interested in details over principles, in actions over motives, more about doing than being on the inside. And the remainder of Jesus' sermon that we'll look at for the next few weeks, the remainder of the sermon is simply an exposition of that core issue that, that he diagnosed here. So a few verses later, Jesus says to him, you guys are so impressed because you don't commit adultery, but I say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent, man, that's adultery too. So Jesus wasn't trying to make the law more burdensome. Okay, that's not his intent. But to show that it's not only your actions that matter, it's what you think. It's what you desire. Jesus goes, we don't wanna just solve the adultery problem. We need to get to the lust problem, right? He's moving us away from just looking at external things and focusing on internal. So the point is not just to avoid adultery, Okay, the idea is to have a heart that is not consumed with lust. And then the avoiding just kind of takes care of itself, right? Another example, is with money, another example with money in the Bible. Okay, the sin righteousness line, it, so the dividing line between sin and righteousness with money is not rich and poor. It's not a sin to be rich, it's not a sin to be poor, okay? The dividing line is generous and greedy. It's heart, heart level. 
So there are three parts to your salvation, okay? He saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you. The big words are justification, sanctification, glorification. It's in the New Testament. So Jesus saved you. Once you're a Christian, you're justified. It's my, my granddad used to say, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's done, okay? So you are a Christian, you are going to heaven. That gavel has been dropped, you're innocent. And then he starts saving you on an ongoing basis. So he gets that pride out of your heart. Oh, you're closer to him. You're, 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 he's saving you from that pride. And over and over, he sanctifies you, makes you holy the rest of your time here on earth. And that's what we're doing in here today. Okay, we're talking about how do we allow God, open our hearts toward God so that inside of our hearts, he can continue to sanctify. And then the glorify, that's the great part when we go to heaven. Okay, it's all done. We're with him forever. Okay. I think a lot, a lot of churches um, in our camp, okay, in our kind of stream of the faith, really focus on justification and glorification. Are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know? Are you sure? Did you really nail it down? And heaven's gonna be amazing. Man, look at, you know, let's have this drama, okay? <laughs> and it, sometimes I think we miss this part, right? But, but Jesus can save you from that pride. He can save you from that lust. He can save you from these things you don't have to keep giving yourself to. One of my heroes, Johnny Hunt, says it's not a faith by works, it's a faith that works. It means that Christ is being formed in me, that I am a partaker of the divine nature, that the old things have passed and new things have come. All things have become new. So it means that Christ is dwelling in me, that the Spirit of God is in me. A Christian is becoming more and more like Jesus. A Christian's desire is to obey God. Right? That's our inner desire. The commandments aren't something that we you know, dread. David said that, that the law was like honey on his lips, right? So the Christian loves God's law. And this is a righteousness that far exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? Their righteousness was outward for their own glory, but our righteousness is at the heart level and gives all the glory to God. 